Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. There's a story that during the 1948 U.S. Senate race in Texas, a group of campaign workers for Lyndon Baines Johnson found support from some new voters who were already dead. Johnson and his aides went out one night illegally registering voters in a cemetery. When they came upon a warm tombstone, moss had grown up around the grave. The name was barely readable. The worker at the stone took a quick look and then moved on to the next. The leader of the expedition called out, No, no, no. Go back and register that person. He has as much right to vote as anyone else in this cemetery. Christians believe in the communion of saints, a belief that says that the dead who are now with God have the right to vote. Or rather, they cast their vote with the way they lived. They've cast their lot with God, and in their lives, in the lives of the saints, we know the love of God more clearly. Do you remember the M. Night Shyamalan movie, The Sixth Sense? The hinge of the movie is in Haley Joel Osment's disclosure of his miraculous sixth sense. I see. The church expresses its, its sixth sense this Sunday as we recall the people who've gone before. We acknowledge, we give attention to, our community overhears us whisper, we see dead people. Those from the community and those from the tradition, both familiar and less familiar. One of the less familiar is St. Maximilian of the 4th century, who became the first conscientious objector. He was drafted by the Roman army, but refused to serve. His only loyalty, he said, was to the army of God. This was a great shame to his father, a veteran, who knew that his son's decision meant death. And it did. At his beheading, Maximilian noticed the shabby clothing of his executioner, and calling his father in the crowd, asked him that his own clothes be taken off and given to the man. In the early 20th century, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a wealthy rising star in the Berlin firmament when he was arrested for his opposition to Hitler. Writing to a friend from the Tegel concentration camp, he said, in effect, don't feel sorry for me, I'm no victim. I've discovered true freedom. In the 19th century, Therese of Lisieux was a French teenager who became convinced that God's love is found in what she called the little way of everyday acts of kindness and mercy towards others. When she got around to writing her spiritual autobiography at the ripe old age of 23, she'd already dived so deeply into this pond named God, that she neglected to tell her readers that she was dying of tuberculosis. 
And these are just a few examples. We look to the dead, and in them we see life. In this cultural and societal moment, we are in the classroom of impermanence. So our adult forum series on Sunday morning has been suggesting. We've been listening to the wise upperclassmen in the course. Brother Curtis Almquist, Dr. David Urian, and this morning, Brenda Fingold. I would suggest that God has given us many instructors in this course. In fact, we could say that the saints are God's faculty. And here is what I submit the saints teach us. They teach the hardest subjects of life, the kind that when you're honest with yourself, you say, I could use a tutor. Subjects that even the world has not yet mastered and perhaps never will. They teach us how to forgive. They teach us how to say no to power. They teach us how to forget our own problems and to serve others. They teach us how to inhabit our own impermanence with creativity. Most of all, the saints teach us how to die. As you may know, the church doesn't observe the birthdays of the saints and martyrs, but their death days. The story of any saint begins with a rollicking good death. It's as if the church is asking, what is it about this life and this set of commitments that makes this death so precious in God's sight? When the second century Christian Polycarp of Smyrna was burned at the stake for his faith, the elders of his church were there taking notes. It's from them that we learned that Polycarp could have skipped his own funeral by saying two little words, Curios Caesar, Lord Caesar. The church has lived off his refusal of those two words for almost two millennia. When Dietrich Bonhoeffer was finally summoned from his cell to be hanged, there was someone there to record the final witness, to tell us how he refused to go to God in his prison clothes. Instead, he threw them off. And how Bonhoeffer knelt on the hard concrete floor, how he prayed before he went to the hangman's noose, how he looked at the physician who was present and said his last words. This is the end but for me, the beginning of life. It was his last lecture in the course on impermanence, and he gave it with a twinkle in his eye. Let's be clear. Saints don't teach us how to be nice people. Saints aren't always nice people. Saints are sinners. St. Thomas Becket was a hedonist. St. Ignatius of Loyola was an egotist. St. Mary of Egypt was a seductress, and St. Augustine of Hippo was a playboy. Venerable Matt Talbot was a chronic alcoholic, and Abba Huvelin was a chronic depressive. Saints are rough-hewn and three-dimensional. Saints aren't, contrary to popular opinion, they aren't people who've scored extraordinarily high on an exam called goodness. They're people who've learned to make something out of their suffering, 
They've learned to let a light shine through their own impermanence. They've discovered in the midst of winter that in their heart is an invincible summer. So I wonder who the person has been for you who's shown you God in their compassion, in their vulnerability, even in their suffering. In whose, li- in whose life have you sensed the sunlight of God's spirit? Maybe it was a history teacher you had, despite your teenage antics, seemed to be dead set on your good. Or maybe it was your first boss who taught you about integrity and honor in the workplace. Or maybe it was someone with special needs, someone whom the world would be tempted to pity, and yet you saw that their eyes blazed with the glory of another world. Or maybe it was a grandparent who loved you unconditionally. It was a grandparent in whom I first saw the glory of God, my granddaddy. I remember being seven years old, staying over at my grandparents' place, waking up in the middle of the night, 2 or 3 a.m. I was scared because I heard some movement in the kitchen. It was that time in your life when burglars loom large in your imagination. The sound in the kitchen was just him shuffling around. And when I peeked into the dimly lit room, he was eating a bowl of cereal and drinking a cup of Folgers with his Bible open, and a napkin there with some things scribbled on it. Granddaddy got up with the monks to do his quiet time. I went snooping around his Bible the next day looking for that napkin to see what was scribbled on it. I found it, and on it I saw a list of names of people he was praying for, people on his heart. I saw my name on that list, and I felt a holy tingle shoot up my spine. I couldn't believe that someone woke up at 3 a.m. to pray for me. It's still hard for me to believe. He was someone in whom I saw the glory of God, and long before I believed in God, I believed in saints. In a few moments, we'll baptize little Parker into the family of God, the communion of saints. And Parker, your baptism connects you to all your ancestors in the faith, all those who've loved God, or at least tried to. They're all now your brothers and sisters, both the living and the dead. Baptism connects you to all the saints, And I'm especially thinking of your great-grandfather, Dr. William Hughes, who entered that glorious company in September. I imagine him leaning over the veil of time, smiling on you this morning. Baptism is God's loving promise to make his glory shine brightly in your life. Your job, your job, Virginia and Andrew, noodles and bonbon, your job is to let that glory show. When Parker succeeds and thinks he's the hotshot, you'll be there to say, now, now, don't forget the people who made this possible. And when he struggles and hits the wall, you'll be there to take his hand in yours and say, God is with you. God will never let you go. 
And as he grows in that confidence, we will see the glory of God in him. Of course, you might be listening this morning and tapping your foot and thinking to yourself, I don't know about this whole God business. I can't see God. God isn't readily apparent to my field of view. I understand that. But I'd also remind you that in God's love affair with the world, he chooses to show up to woo us into holiness through the visibility of the saints. Saints are God's footprints, God's tracks left in the world. Who were the dead in whom you saw a fraction of God's life? In the Roman world, the dead were buried outside the city, outside the city walls in a necropolis of their own. But then the church did something unthinkable in a pagan society. It said, in effect, we see dead people, and behold, they are good. Christians began taking their bread and wine and holy books out into the cemeteries where the faithful were buried, and they began worshiping with them. Then they did something even more radical. In the 6th century, they began moving their dead inside the walls and onto the sacred ground where they could be nestled around the church. And some of them, they moved into the church. They began treating the dead saints as friends, invisible companions, and teachers. And just think what they have to teach. For they are now eternal. They're present to the living God night and day in a realm where there is no night and there is no day. For poor, time-kept, time-worn, mutable, anxious, suffering creatures like us, they offer the eternal perspective. They offer little tutorials on how to live for eternity amidst the responsibilities and realities of time. They make it easier for us to live as though Jesus Christ really is risen from the dead, which he is. These faithful people are not figures painted in plaster or carved on pulpits. They're friends, companions, and teachers of another realm. And in teaching us how to die, they show us what real life is all about. O blessed communion, fellowship divine, we feebly struggle, they in glory shine, yet all are one in thee, for all are thine. Alleluia. Thanks be to God. Amen.